step into my library, won't you, and have a seat by the fire? This is Jennifer Passarello from Circa19XX.com and the Circa Sunday Night Podcast. But tonight, we're not in either of those places. We're in the Vintage Century Reading Room, and I have a book to share with you that have been lost in the mists of time. Let's have a little read, shall we? Good evening. Are you warm and toasty tonight? Well, I am, but not without a lot of work. <laughs> Here in Kansas City, we are in the depths of winter now, and uh, I just don't like this time of year. But, you know, it could be worse. Olive and I are here by the fire again. And, oh, pardon me while I take a bite of this amazing chicken and dumplings that I have right here. Mmm. Oh, gosh, that's good. I have this little steaming cup of dumplings right here on my table. And you know what Olive is doing while I'm eating my chicken and dumplings? She's just sitting there on the floor staring up at me. I think she wants some soup. She's not going to get soup because she already had her dinner, but uh, yeah, I think she wants my my dumplings. So now we're at the time of year when I just sort of barricade myself in the house. I usually come out for air in late February, maybe early March, but January and most of February is all about me being under a blanket. (laughs) So, you know, in December... One of the things that I do is stock up on some essentials. Do you do that? Do you find that you stock up for the winter? Well, I do. And I don't just mean food. There are two winter essentials that I must have to get me through those long, dark evenings. I need to have books, and I need to have candles. I have a stack of books right now that I've already started to work through. Most of these books came from a local thrift store that is not very far from where I live. Now, I've talked about that thrift store over on Circa Sunday Night. I love that store. I go there once a week, and they've got great stuff. But one of the things that I like the most is they have a great vintage book section. You know, I've been able to pick up some old books that have obscure titles that nobody's ever heard of, but that are in really good condition. So that is so much fun. I've got a stack of those. But yeah, I do get books from Amazon too, new books. But by the way, I get real books. Okay, I buy real books. Perhaps I'm the last person alive who does that, but I just cannot enjoy electronic books. Reading is a very tactile experience for me. I have to turn the pages. I have to feel the book in my hands. Now, I know that there's some irony here because this whole series that I'm doing, the Take a Look at Yourself series, is all about me reading a book to you. So you can't have that tactile experience, but I can. (laughs) And uh, I, I find that I really have to have that to enjoy a book. And, you know, there's something else that's really cool, especially about old books, that You know, when I can go to the thrift store and I buy an old book and I read through those pages, I feel as if I'm exploring a place, you know, that I'm going somewhere that no one else has ventured to for a really long time. 
I sort of feel that way with our book, Take a Look at Yourself. This is not another book, or this is not a book, rather, that other people are reading right now. So I feel like we're almost sort of discovering undiscovered territory. But now, in addition to books, I have to have fragrant candles, too. So you know what I do? I load up on all different kinds of fragrance candles from Walmart. I like the Better Homes and Gardens jar candles the best. Um, but they have that other uh, brand, the Walmart. Is it Mainstay? I, I'm thinking it's the Mainstay brand. Those are pretty good, too. And so, let's see, what do I have right now? I have vanilla and hazelnut cream burning here in the house. Mmm, oh goodness. It, it, the whole room smells good enough to eat. <laughs> you know, there are so many fragrances in the world, but I think plain old vanilla is always one of the best, isn't it? Well, all of this is to say that I think between my books and my candles, I'm all set for the winter. And since I'm all set, why don't we dive into our book, shall we? We're now on Chapter 3 of John Homer Miller's Take a Look at Yourself. This is a book that was written in 1943. Now, if you're new to the reading room, you might want to go back and listen to Chapters 1 and 2 and then come back and join us for Chapter 3. Let's do a quick review of Chapter 2 before we dive into this next chapter. In Chapter 2, John Homer uh, Miller urged us to take inventory of our lives to see if we have these four things. Meaningful work, play, or what I call joy, love, and worship. This time around, we're going to explore three types of faith, as described in Chapter 3. Chapter 3 Faiths You Live By In the city of Chicago, a group of women were discussing one of their club members whose gaiety and courage had withstood circumstances that would have crushed an ordinary mortal. She commanded the respect and affection of the entire community. Said one woman, I can't think what keeps her going. Another answered, Perhaps she has religion. Oh no, replied the first. It can't be that. She's too intelligent. The woman about whom they were talking was Helen Cody Baker. She makes an eloquent appeal to American women to reopen their minds to religious faith. She asks, Shall we turn our backs on the venture of Christianity because it's inconvenient or difficult? If we do, we shall lose from our lives something that sustained and comforted our fathers and in which there's still help for us in these troubled years. If our mothers and grandmothers needed a religion in their relatively simple lives, how much more do we require one in these days of terrific speed and blinding glare? To meet the challenge of this age, we must call upon all the beauty and all the strength and all the selflessness there is in the world. Religion is no more and no less than that call and the answer to it. Her kind of faith, L.P. Jacks would call reason in a courageous mood, a faith on which all science rests, confidence in the integrity of the universe, the assurance that there's a definite purpose in all experience which makes life worth living and service a privilege. 
Such faith we see in the most surprising and unexpected places. We discover it on at least three levels, or to put it another way, there are three levels of faith on which you can live. The first level of faith we call, for want of a better name, animal faith. It's the glad acceptance that life is good. It's believing in life. It's taking life as it comes. If you would see it in its purest expression, notice how animals, birds, little children, and all nature accept life and accept it as it comes. There's a widespread joy and confidence written upon the face of all nature. That's why some people find their greatest solace and strength in observing the tranquility and poise with which all nature responds to trouble and disaster. Archibald Rutledge, who possibly lives closer to nature and understands nature better than any living American, sums up what we mean by animal faith when he declares, Storm and disaster are doomed by the rainbow. For example, he tells of seeing a swamp the week after a devastating flood had receded. Already, he says, nature had set about her work of repair. Everywhere there was an air of serenity, as if disaster were temporary. A spirit of subdued triumph brooded over all, a spirit of quiet rejoicing, which kept singing to my heart, Hope is stronger than fear. Love is greater than grief. Life is mightier than death, and disaster is just an incident in time. The shadows and rain of today will nourish the blossoms of tomorrow. That is animal faith. It's instinctive, confident faith in a courageous mood. Again, Mr. Rutledge tells of seeing a bird build its nest. That night a storm came. The next morning on the ground lay the pathetic ruin of that little home, but not the ruin of hope. Even while I was lamenting the ruin of beauty on the ground, over my head I heard an excited buzzing and twittering. Stepping back into the bush, I saw the glimmering birds beginning a new home on the broken tip of the same branch from which the old one had just been crushed. Animal Faith how brave and sound and courageous is the philosophy that a night of disaster is always followed by a dawn of redemption. If you have your life built on the foundation of animal faith, Jesus was describing you when he spoke of the house built upon the rock. You accept life's reverses as they come, and you find a way out of them. Mr. Rutledge tells of seeing a telltale glow in the pine woods near his home. Fearing it might be a forest fire, he rode four miles down the highway. When he reached the scene, he said, I discovered a home in ruins, a humble home of a humble friend of mine, a one-armed ore maker. He was standing in the road with his wife and little children watching the smoldering pile. I shall never forget his first words to me. She's gone but I'll start to rebuild tomorrow. He had lost every material thing he owned, even the simple tools of his trade, but he had not lost his heart. Living in the woods, he had spoken like a true son of nature, for nature always starts again. She always starts tomorrow. That is animal faith in a courageous mood. And, since you are a child of nature, what is hers can be yours. 
Climb the mountain, says John Muir, and get their good tidings. Nature's peace will flow into you as sunshine flows into trees. The winds will blow their own freshness into you, and the storms their energy, while cares will drop off like autumn leaves, and you'll know the peace that is God's, for nature is His, and He made it. So Jesus appealed for animal faith when He said, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? From animal faith you rise to the next level, which we shall call human faith. Though it's higher than animal faith, nevertheless it grows out of the basic conviction that life is good and can be trusted. But it goes on to believe that there is something about the integrity of the human soul that's worth maintaining at any cost. Though it cannot be explained, human faith believes that it's better to be good than to be bad, to be right than to be wrong, to be brave than to be a coward. It is the faith which assures you that there's some definite purpose in all experience and that there's something in life that is on the side of righteousness. It persuades you that war, race prejudice, and economic oppression are wrong and which affirms that only justice, fair play, nonviolence, equal opportunity, graciousness, and generosity are right. Henry Clay revealed it when he said, I would rather be right than be president. Human faith has caused many a man to refuse wealth, riches, and honor rather than to sacrifice the integrity of his own soul. As a rule, dishonest men would not go to Abraham Lincoln to have him defend them, for when he sensed that a man was guilty, he lost courage. Once during a trial, he turned to his associate counsel and exclaimed, This fellow is guilty. You defend him. I can't. On one occasion, President Garfield was offered a handsome financial return for his endorsement of a questionable business enterprise. When he was assured, nobody will know about it, President Garfield made this conclusive answer. You're wrong there. President Garfield would know about it, and I have to sleep with him. Human faith exercises profound influence upon the conduct and behavior of multitudes of men. We see it in action frequently in the everyday life of the world. Human faith is what inspires you to go the second mile in maintaining the integrity of your own soul and what makes you stand for the hard right against the easy wrong. I know that right is right, that it is not good to lie, that love is better than spite and a neighbor than a spy. In the darkest night of the year, when the stars have all gone out, that courage is better than fear. That faith is truer than doubt. Finally, if your life is built on the foundation of animal faith, that life is good and can be trusted, and on human faith, that there's something about your own soul worth maintaining at any cost, then you may build your faith to its highest level, which we call cosmic faith. Cosmic faith is reason in its most courageous mood. It is the conviction that there's something at the heart of the universe that can be trusted, that makes life good, and that makes a good life worth living. It's the conviction that there is purpose, plan, order, interdependence, and unity in the cosmos. 
Religion has always affirmed a God. It has always proclaimed a cosmic faith. To me, one of the greatest things that has happened in this generation is that science has come to that faith. The scientist does not set out primarily to find God, but as he turns his telescope into the starry heavens above, or peers through his microscope into the tiny atoms beneath, he finds a universe which is trustworthy, intelligent, even benevolent. That's what Dr. Milliken meant when he said to a gathering of 5,000 of America's most distinguished scientists, I have, in effect, fingerprinted God in the heavens. I found a creator continually on the job. I bear witness that the teachings of science are extraordinarily like the preachings of Jesus, in that nature is at bottom benevolent and good. Or we hear Curtly Mather say, For me, God is the motive power which tends to produce fine personality in human beings. For after all, man is organic with the universe. He has come up out of the cosmic struggle. The blood of the universe is in his veins. Personality is cosmic energy molded in human form, which reached its highest expression in the personality of Jesus Christ. Men of religion go on to say that Christ is our very picture of God. Whatever God may be, he cannot be less just, less loving, less generous and kind than was Jesus. After all, the universe did produce Jesus. There must be something Christ-like at the heart of it. Otherwise, the universe has created something greater than itself. But we believe that whatever God may be, he cannot be less than Jesus in his moral character and spiritual beauty. Cosmic faith is the strongest driving force behind scientific research. And at the same time, it supplies you with the greatest motive power for the living of a better life. For though you rise from animal faith, through human faith, to cosmic faith, nevertheless it is faith in a God that can be trusted, which finally assures you that life is good, that a good life is endlessly worth living whatever it may cost. Nothing less than cosmic faith can keep you steady, true to your ideals and to your conscience, and inspired to serve the right in this bewildering generation. In times like these, it's not enough to know that right is right. You must know also that truth and right have the universe on their side. I really like this chapter, did you? Now let's remember what he talked us through here in this one. He talked us through those three levels of faith. There was animal faith. That was the basic faith that life is good. Then there was human faith. That's the certainty that the integrity of the human soul is worth maintaining at any cost and that there's a definite purpose in all experience. And then there was cosmic faith, the conviction that there's purpose, plan, order, interdependence, and unity in the cosmos. This is a fantastic way, I think, of guiding us to a stepped-up elevation of faith or through an evolution of faith. I particularly liked his treatment of cosmic faith because that's a reminder of just how huge and unfathomable God's creation is. I just find that fascinating. It's just impossible to grasp. But you know what? We don't have to grasp it. All we're called to do is believe. 
faith before understanding. So which level best describes your faith? Are you at the animal level, the human level, the cosmic level? You know, I think the most important thing is to just keep growing in our faith, regardless of where we are on our faith journey. What an awesome chapter. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one, too. And that pretty much wraps up Chapter 3. So come back in a couple of weeks and join me for Chapter 4. Let's see, what is Chapter 4? Oh, this sounds intriguing. It's called Rediscovering Your Inescapables. I wonder what inescapables are. Well, I guess we shall find out together. Have a great couple of weeks, and I'll see you soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.